you turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 12 and Hebrews chapter 11, both of these passages of Scripture. Genesis chapter 12 and Hebrews chapter 11. Tonight, the Lord willing, I want to begin a series of messages in the evening services on the great soul-winning doctrines, the great soul-winning doctrines. And tonight's message, except ye repent, the, the doctrine of repentance, who is it for? Do Christians need to repent? Do lost people need to repent? How do you repent? That'll be tonight at the 7.30 hour. At seven, at six o'clock this evening, at six o'clock this evening, we're going to show the unusual film. It's a premiere showing in this area. The film called Two Masters, Two Masters. This will be shown in the youth department in Fellowship Hall. And it is not meant to interrupt any other training union group that is going on. So if you have something planned in your group that must go forward, you just go right on with it. But for the others, and whoever can come, and those who do not usually come to Trinity Union at six o'clock, the film, Two Masters, a feature film, and I hope you will not miss it. It will be a blessing to your life and a challenge. This morning, the second in the message series, Preaching from the Old Testament, the life of Abraham. Abraham, the friend of God. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for what we have already experienced in the songs that have moved our hearts closer to Christ and to Calvary, and the wonderful music and the singing of God's people, these great, great hymns, and the gathering together of this tremendous congregation here in the auditorium, and all of those who are sitting by their radios joining us through the airwaves. We pray that now the Spirit of Jesus will move across this place, that the Holy Spirit of God will bring conviction, that those who are lost will be saved. Those who are saved will sense the direction and leadership of the Holy Spirit to become active and servants of God as men and women of faith. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. In Genesis chapter 12, we read verses 1, 2, and 3, and then go to Hebrews 11, verse 8. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. This was the call. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That was the promise. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, and following, we have the obedience, the call, the promise, the obedience. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place 
which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac shall thy seed be blessed, or be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which also he received him in a figure. Now there are several ways to build a message or a sermon. One is a three-point outline, which is often what I do, as many of you who come here often know. This morning, I want to give you an acrostic as the message, an acrostic on the life of Abraham. And before we get into that, let me mention about 13 or 14 statements about Abraham. First of all, Abraham was the tenth from Noah. Last Sunday morning we talked about Enoch, who was the seventh from Adam. Today we talk about Abraham, who was the tenth from Noah. That means that Abraham's great, 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 great grandfather was Noah. And Noah's son was Ham, Japheth, and Shem. And it was through the Shem lineage that Abraham came. Many believe that as Noah came out of the ark and his three sons, that God used him to people the rest of the earth after the great deluge or the flood. And the Bible clearly says, Ham, Japheth, and Shem, and from them came all the nations. There is much biblical evidence and evidence from outside the Scripture that Ham and his descendants ultimately settled in the African areas. That Japheth 
and his settlers and his followers and those who came in his train settled in what we call Europe. And most of us are descendants of Japheth. That Shem and his descendants settled in the Orient, in the Middle East, and over in the Oriental countries. This is the reason when we had a visitor here from Korea a few years ago, he could say, I am of the descendants of Shem. Because the Shemites were the Orientals, and the Jews were Oriental. The Eskimos are Oriental. The Chinese and the Japanese and all of those are Oriental. Abraham was Oriental in background. And he was a descendant from the Shemites. Tenth, from Noah. Secondly, Abraham lived 175 years. That's a long time. We had a man in this city who lived 114 years, maybe a little longer than that. He was driving his car when he was 114 years old, I think, Mr. Stevens. He's gone to be with the Lord now. And we thought that is an ancient age. <laughs> well, Abraham lived to be 175. But that's to say nothing about Enoch, who walked with God 365 years, and his son Methuselah, who lived 969 years. So those men lived a long time in that day. Abraham lived 175 years. The third thing I'd like to mention about Abraham was he had a beloved wife named Sarah. Sarah was very, very precious to him. And Abraham was faithful to his wife for 60 years. Sarah and Abraham were a team together. Now those of you who are familiar with the life of Abraham know that he had a dark splotch in his life when he had a a relationship with Hagar. And from that relationship came Ishmael, the father of the Arabs. But please notice that it was with the consent, as a matter of fact, the prompting of Sarah. And Abraham lived in a day when it was popular to have more than one wife. Jesus said from the beginning it was not so. Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, gave you a law of divorce. But from the beginning it was not so. And Abraham had one wife. As long as Sarah lived, he was faithful to her. Later he married Keturah, who had six sons by him. But for those 60 years, Abraham and Sarah were a team for God. The next thing I'd like to mention concerning Abraham, he was human. Most of us like Simon Peter in the New Testament because we can identify with him. Peter was up and down. He was ambitious. He was exciting. And sometimes he did things just without thinking. And he would say things before his, uh, maybe his tongue would get in motion before his brain would get in gear. And uh, most of the time we're like that. And so we identify clearly with Peter. Well, Abraham was human too. One time he and Sarah were going down to Egypt. And he knew what the policy was of the great pharaohs. They would see a very beautiful lady and Sarah was a very, very beautiful lady. You read carefully between the lines and you find that Sarah could easily have been one of the glamour girls of Hollywood, only she was a woman of faith. She was a beautiful person. And when they got ready to go down to to Egypt, 
remember that Sarah was Abraham's half-sister. There was not the accumulation of sin in those days, and so therefore it was not unusual for a man to marry his half-sister or a woman to marry her half-brother. Well, when they went down to Egypt, Abraham said, uh, Sarah, uh, I'd sure like to live. Uh, would you mind if I told the Pharaoh that you're my sister instead of my wife? And so they went down to Egypt, and he told the Pharaoh that this was his sister. Now, was that true or false? You see, you know that it was false, and yet I want to tell you, he did what many of us do. He told a half-truth. Was that half-true? Yeah, it was half true. She was his half-sister. But he gave the intent and the impression that she was a sister instead of a wife. She was more of a wife to him than she was a sister, right? And so he told, in effect, a lie, though it was a half-truth. He was human. Now, we don't, we don't condone that. We don't cover it up. One of the great things about the Word of God, it takes its heroes and shows both sides of their lives. Most of the time, until recently, when you're writing about a hero, you tell all the wonderful things. Today we have a reaction against that, and when you have a hero, you tell all the ugly, mean, honorary things about him, and tell a few good things. The scripture just paints the picture as it is. It tells all the great things about Abraham and makes you love him and makes you revere him and makes you respect him. At the same time, it tells the sordid part and the ugly part. And when Pharaoh learned that Abraham and Sarah were husband and wife through an act of God, Pharaoh asked Abraham to leave and gave him great gifts, and he did not touch Sarah. And then there was another period in Abraham's life. Abraham was human. He and Sarah had been promised a son by God. You're going to have a son. The most precious thing that Abraham wanted was a son. When he was 40 years old, God said, you're going to have a son. There wasn't any son. When he was 50 years old, God said, you're going to have a son. There was no son. When he was 60 years old, God said, you're going to have a son. There was no son. And finally, Sarah. Now, come on, women. Don't get upset with me. But so much like women, Sarah got a little impatient with God. And she said, now, look, we better help God out. It reminded me of that preacher I heard about who was uh, praying about his call. He had been called to a church in Alabama, and uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was praying about it, and somebody came to the door and said uh, uh, to the son, to the child in the family, where is your mother? Oh, he said, my daddy's downstairs praying, but my mother's upstairs packing. <laughs> now, Sarah said, uh, we've got to help God out a little bit about this thing. And so... Sarah persuaded Abraham that the handmaiden God had given her, Hagar, 
should become like a wife to him. And Abraham and Hagar had a son, Ishmael. And my beloved friends, I do not say anything against the Word of God. I do not say anything against the man of God. I do not say anything against the thousands and thousands and yea, millions of Arabs on the earth today. But had there not been the impatience of Abraham and Sarah concerning God's promise, there would not be the embattlements between the Arabs and the Jews today. The Jews traced their lineage back through Isaac, the son of promise. The Arabs traced their lineage back through Ishmael, the son of lust, the son of impatience, the son of faithlessness. And when you and I don't wait on God, God makes a promise. And we take matters in our own hands. And instead of doing what God says to do, we decide we're going to do what we want to do. There's always a price to pay. And a price was paid for centuries to come because of the humanity of Abraham at this point. Fourthly, the next thing I want to say about Abraham, he was a man of peace. He was always a peacemaker. The herds of Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, and the herds of Abraham were struggling and fighting and grumbling and upset with each other because of water holes and because of the of the place where the, the sheep could feed. And so Abraham called Lot to him. Remember, all this belonged to Abraham. Lot was just like a son, though he was a nephew. Abraham said, Lot, there's no use in our having this discussion, dis, dis, disputation, being upset with each other all the time. Uh, Lot, you look out there. Look all around, everywhere you look. Whichever way you want to go, whichever land you want to possess, you take it. It'll be all right. You can go. Lot was a young guy, and he looked down at the plains of Sodom, the well-watered plains along the Jordan River and along the Dead Sea, beautiful areas. In those days, it, it is said that that was the most fertile, beautiful area in all of Palestine. And Lot said, well, I want that area. He left for Abraham only the barren hill country. Abraham said, that's fine. You go. You go. He was a man of peace. The next thing I want to tell you about Abraham, he was not afraid of war. There's some things we can learn from this. We ought to be men and women of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit they should be called the children of God. But Abraham was not afraid of war. There came a day when the kings of the north came down and swooped in on Sodom and Gomorrah and the other areas there. And they captured and they took Lot captive way up into the north. And Abraham was righteously indignant. And he went out with some of his men and he pursued after the kings and won one of the greatest, most decisive battles of that entire era and rescued Lot and brought him back home. And it reminds me to say there are times when there's some things worth fighting for. 
We live in an age when 18-year-olds must register for the draft or for the armed forces. I understand that several million 18-year-olds have said, I'm not going to register. Shame on you. Whoever you are, shame on you. There are some things worth fighting for. We are not of those who are draft card burners. We are not of those who run off to Canada to avoid taking a stand for our country. We were just in Washington and saw all the wonderful institutions of this great country and saw those monuments and the inscriptions of the early men of America and every one of them without any exception acknowledge God and speak of the authorship of God in this country and the hand of God upon this nation. And spiritual-minded men and women through the ages have recognized there are some things worth fighting for. And Abraham was that kind of man. Are you? Am I? Now, I believe that boys and girls ought to grow up peaceably. They ought not to fight. I don't like fights and all that. Sometimes in our school, some kids fight. I don't like to let those secrets out. Oh, we try to deal with it. We call their parents and we do this and that and the other. We give them tallies and uh, suspensions and all that kind of thing. But do you know what I'd really like to do? And you may think I'm a sadist. And I've threatened to do it. I haven't done it yet, but I'm thinking about it. Next time there's a fight, I think I'll call the father of both of them and say, y'all come on over. We're going to have a fight. I want both the fathers to be here. And we'll just you all fight it out because you need to learn not to pick on somebody. You need to learn that somebody is going to win in a fight. And beloved, that's the truth. You can't go through life picking on people. You can't go through life being afraid and running because you're afraid somebody will pick on you. You need to stand for what you know is right and have a backbone in you. I'm not saying we ought to go out and pick fights. I don't believe in that, but I don't believe we ought to run. I believe we ought to stand. And Abraham was that kind of man who learned and knew how to be a man of war when the need was there. Sixthly, he was generous and unselfish in his spirit. He was a man that was outgoing. I must hurry, my time will be gone. Seventhly, he was a good businessman and was prosperous, and his prosperity was well known everywhere. He was one of the wealthy men of his day. Eighthly, he was a man of deep integrity and honesty. Ninth, he was interested in others with a Christ-like compassion. There came a time when God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham dared to go before God and said, God, if we can find 50 righteous people, will you spare those cities? Why do you want the cities spared? He had an interest down there. Lot was there, and Lot's children were there. And, and Abraham just loved people, and he didn't want those cities destroyed. And God said, if I can find 50, I'll spare it. And Abraham said, Lord, if you, if you can't find 50, how about 40, 30, 20, 10? God said, if I can find 10, I'll spare it. Why? because of the intercessory, loving compassion of Abraham. 
Listen, beloved, do you know that you and I can change the heart of God? What? What? You read carefully. There were men of great prayer power in the scriptures who prayed and prayed and prayed. God answered their prayer. James says Elijah was a man like we are with great compassions like passions like we have. And he prayed and it didn't rain for three years. He prayed again and the rain came. You and I have the authority to pray like that. And Abraham prayed with compassion. Number 10, Abraham founded a nation. Number 11, he achieved in material things, but in godly character, he was preeminent. The material things were not as important to Abraham as the godly character. Number 12, Abraham was a man of God, a man of faith, a man who declared his monotheistic faith in the face of paganism and polytheism and pragmatism. He was a man of faith. And last of all, three great faiths embodying more than one half the human race. Look back to Abraham and say, Abraham is the father of the faithful. The Jews, the Christians, the Mohammedans. That's the kind of man Abraham was. Listen to this. Somebody wrote, regarded from the standpoint of his unparalleled spiritual mission, Abraham stands as the most strategic and pivotal man in the course of world history. Greater than the Egyptian pharaohs, greater than the Babylonian or Assyrian monarchs, greater than Alexander the Great. Three appellations applied to Abraham were never spoken of any other man. Abraham, the father of the Hebrew people. Abraham, the father of all true believers. Abraham, the friend of God. From Abraham came the most rigid conception of monotheism the world has ever known. What about Abraham? The A in his name stands for ardent and loyalty. The B, beloved of God. The R, redeemed by the blood. The A, available for things spiritual. The H, human in weakness. The A, awakened to the needs of others. And M, man of faith. And when we come to speak of Abraham as the man of faith, this is the heart of my message. And in just a few moments, I want to bring to you man of faith, friend of God. First of all, the F stands for the F in his name stands for friend of God. The F in faith. You see, Abraham was a man of faith. And it stands for the fact that he was a faithful man, a friend of God. Now notice in 2 Chronicles, the scripture says in chapter 19, the scripture calls him the friend of God forever. 
In Isaiah chapter 41 verse 8, Abraham is called the friend of God. And in James chapter 2, Abraham is called the friend of God. What does it mean to be the friend of God? Have you ever had a friend? What is a friend? Somebody said, when life is over, if you can say, I've had one real friend, you're wealthy. We have a lot of acquaintances. We have a lot of fellowship. And we ought to not be cliquish and just be around the people that we can get along with. We ought to share ourselves with everybody. But do you have a real friend? Maybe it's your wife or husband. Maybe it's some spiritual relationship you have with someone, a friend, a real friend. God had one friend on the earth. You think of that. Could you be called a friend of God? All the things I've said about Abraham today are the characteristics that led to his being called a friend of God. He was called a man of faith, and the F in, it, in that word faith stands for friend of God. He was God's friend. Now when you put a circle around the word faith, and you listen carefully to this acrostic on faith, I think it will help you understand what it means that Abraham was a friend of God. The A in faith stands for available to God. God said, Abraham, get up from your family. Get up from your background. Get up from Ur and Haran and go. Where am I going to go, God? I'll tell you later. You just go. And Abraham believed God and he went. You know, most of us are not like that. We want to be with our friends. We want to be with our family. And if the demands of our spiritual commitment conflict with the demands of our family or our friends, who gets first place? Usually our family and friends. But with Abraham, he said, Sarah, pack, we're going. And out they went to Canaan. He was available to not say no when God said go. God said one day, Abraham, take your own son, your son of promise, go up to Moriah and offer him before God. I want to see who you love. The Bible doesn't tell us that Abraham asked any questions. Out he marched with Isaac, the son of promise, born when he was 100 years old. And when they came to the foot of Moriah, which is Jerusalem. Isaac said, said, Father, here's the wood, here's the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said with great prophetic truth, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And they went up to the altar. And Abraham offered his son. And he had the knife in the hand. 
And he was about to bring it down in strict obedience to what he understood God was saying. And God said, wait a minute, Abraham, wait. Don't touch that boy. I know now that you're my friend. I can trust you. And over in the bushes, there was a scapegoat symbolizing Jesus who would later be offered on the altar as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. But Abraham loved God and he was available. Are you a friend of God? Are you available? Are you available? When God says go, do you say, but Lord, my friends, what will they think? My family, what will they think? My job, what will, what will they say there? Will they think I'm a fanatic? And Lord, after all, I've just got a few brothers and a few sisters or one child and one, one wife or husband. And, and Lord, I've got to take care of them. God says, go. What do we say? Abraham said, here am I, Lord, send me. Now, I'm not talking about just going to Africa or Japan or some mission point, though that's included. I'm talking about go to church, go to the youth fellowship, get involved in the spiritual things that your church offers for you. But, but Lord, you don't understand. Sunday night's the only time I've got off. Sunday night's the only time I can get my family to sleep early. A Sunday night's the only time this television program comes on. Are we available? Are we available? The I in faith means involved. He was involved in the lives of others. He loved Lot. He loved the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He paid the price in prayer. Who knows but what he might have changed the the whole course of history with his praying. Have you tried changing the course of history with your prayers? During World War II, listen, why did God allow America to discover the atomic bomb instead of Germany? Are you aware that Hitler's Germany was right on the brink of knowing the secret of the smashing of the atoms and of developing the nuclear power? And God cut them off. And God let America do it. We're not proud of Hiroshima. We're not proud of Nagasaki. But we say thank you, Lord, for letting a nation that has some principles of biblical understanding and some leadership positions that are manned by people who love God. Thank you for letting us know those secrets that we might be a protector for the world. And oh, God, help us in these days when we are forsaking the biblical basis of our faith, when we're forsaking those early founders of our nation and the principles upon which this nation was built, and we're going hog wild in a world that's greedy and filled with sin and lust and hate. God, help us. Abraham was involved in prayer. How much have you prayed? How much have I prayed? How much have we prayed? The T in his name stands, in the word faith, stands for true, 
true to his God. True. He never verged, never moved one iota. And the H in his name, and I have to be through, stands for heaven. Heaven was his home. He could easily sing, this world is not my home, Ur, Haran, Bethel, Ai, Cairo. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, he looked for a city whose foundation was made by God. He was a sojourner. He was a pilgrim. He was on his way home. And he realized that he would have to give an account. And beloved, you and I are going to have to give an account of how we've spent these little years we've had here. How'd you spend the 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years God gave you? How'd you do it? What'd you do with your time? What'd you do with your talents? What'd you do about singing in the choir? Did you say, take my voice and let me sing only when I feel like it? Take my nickels and my dimes, but Lord, don't ask for my dollars and my $10 and my $100. What did you do with what I gave you? Abraham said, I'm going to have to give a report one day, and I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful because heaven is my home. He never lost sight of the fact that he was on his way to Jordan's river, and out beyond Jordan, heaven. Oh, I know that Canaan is not a symbol of heaven, but there was a time in the Scripture when the river of death seemed real. And out beyond that river of death was the wonderful city of God. And Abraham said, my city, the one I'm looking for, I'm not going to find it Ur. I'm not going to find it at Haran. I'm not going to find it at Cairo. I'm not going to find it at Bethel or Jerusalem or anywhere else. I'm looking for a city. Are you looking for a city? Are you bound for the promised land? Are you sure you're on your way? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Every head bowed in prayer. Our hearts humbled before God for just a moment. Now, beloved, I've tried to bear my heart to you about Abraham this morning. And I've asked you, I'm asking you now, would you be a friend to Jesus? Would you be a friend to God? Would you say with all your heart, Lord, I want to be your friend? More than anything else, I want to be your friend. Would you? Our Heavenly Father, we pray that just now, in the closing moment of this service, someone would open his heart to Jesus Christ, would trust you as Savior and Lord, and somebody else would take a stand and say, I want to stand in Abraham's place and be a man of faith, be a man that's a friend of God. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. We're going to sing God's invitation. Remember, this is the invitation of the Lord. It isn't mine. It's God's invitation. What's the number of our song? 242. 242. May I ask, please, that no one leave during the singing of this hymn. This is God's invitation. It's for you. If you're here without Jesus, you've never been saved. Listen, as, as kindly as I can say this to you, you're not God's friend. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you've lined up with those who crucified him, who spat on him, who were mean to him, who hated God. I ask you to change places this morning.
to come to Christ and receive Him as your Savior. It is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved because He shed His blood for us. He died on a cross. Three days later, He was raised from the grave. He is a victorious Savior. He's living. He's right here in this room today and He wants to come into your heart. If you'll receive Him, if you'll let Him, will you do it today? God help you to do it. And if you're already saved, you need to take a stand for God you need a church home in this area where you live where you can serve and work for the Lord and help blend your life in bringing others to Christ. Step out today. Don't put it off another moment. Will you be a friend to God today as you take that stand for Him? While we sing, who will come first?